Well, let's get into uh, the teaching uh, this morning uh, before we get to uh, Mark chapter 10 as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. I do want to encourage you to uh, prepare uh, some communion elements at the end of uh, our teaching time. I'll be leading us through some communion time together and I've got the elements here on the table. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and have that ready uh, for us to take communion together here in just a few moments. Um, I'm sure that you have uh, heard uh, this phrase before, uh, what is the why behind the what? Uh, I've, heard, I've heard that phrase numbers of times in different contexts, and I, I like the phrase, um, what's the why behind the what? Because I think when we understand, when we have perspective, uh, when we get clarity on the why behind the what, it, it can help us, especially when the what is hard, when the what is difficult. Um, uh, knowing the why behind the what uh, helps us find purpose uh, through difficulty, through pain. Uh, I believe that knowing the why behind the what also helps us to endure and to persevere in hardship. And so as we get into uh, our passage uh, today, I want to start with just kind of a big question uh, for you to consider uh, in your own mind and heart. And the question is this, do you know the why behind the what of your faith? Maybe another way of asking that question is this, do you know the why behind the what of the cross? So it's not just I know that Jesus died. That's the what. Uh, do you understand? Do you have perspective of the why behind the what of Jesus' death and resurrection? I believe that uh, understanding the why of the cross changes uh, everything. Uh, understanding the why of the cross uh, empowers us in the what of our lives. Um, when we are living our lives, we're going through our stories, the narrative of our lives, when the why of our faith uh, is not connected to the what of our lives, we have something that is fleeting, especially when hardship arrives onto our shore. Uh, but when we know the why of the cross, not just the what of the cross, but the why of the cross... Uh, that when that meets the reality of our lives, when that meets the reality of discipleship, when that meets the reality of following Jesus, we have something of great value. Uh, in our passage today, Mark 10, verses 32 uh, to 35, Jesus uh, will tell his disciples uh, for the third time in the narrative of Mark about his suffering and his death. He will tell them again that he must die. But this, this passion prediction uh, here in our passage today is the only passage uh, that Mark tells us why Jesus must die. And the reason is to pay our ransom. I'm excited to get into a really important passage of Scripture uh, with you uh, this morning. Uh, again, Mark 10, 32 to 45. You can turn there now, and I've entitled uh, this message, The Why. 
Uh, again, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. Uh, Mark 10 is right before Jesus enters into Jerusalem, uh, his triumphant entry, Mark 11, and Holy Week. And so we are right at the cusp of Jesus uh, going into Jerusalem to the cross. These are uh, really essential discipleship moments for the disciples. And I, I can't overstate the importance of what we've been reading and learning and talking about over the last few weeks and can't overstate the importance of what we will talk about again uh, this morning. I think a question uh, of Mark 10 related to the disciples uh, is this, would these 12 disciples keep following Jesus through persecution? Uh, Would they stay faithful to the cause of Christ to the mission of the gospel through persecution and difficulty. Jesus had told him in last week's passage that anyone who follows him will receive a hundredfold in this life and the next. And one of the things that Jesus told the disciples in this life uh, that yes, you will receive a hundredfold with persecution. Persecution, difficulty, hardship is part of the reality of our lives and it's also part of the reality of following Jesus. Um, Would they be faithful? They needed, we need to understand not just the what of the cross, but the why behind the what. Because the why of the cross empowers the what of discipleship. Um, And the truth of the matter is this, some of the what of discipleship is not easy. Uh, It's not light and fluffy. Uh, And Jesus didn't promise that discipleship, that following Jesus would be easy. In fact, he told the disciples that following him uh, meant that the world would hate them. Uh, He told the disciples in the Last Supper Uh, that in this life, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. And so hardship, difficulty, persecution, suffering is part of the reality of our lives. It's also part of the reality of following Jesus. Certainly, the gospel is free. Grace is free. Salvation is free to all those who would receive and believe the message and the work of Jesus. Uh, But discipleship, costs us. Just to remind you of a few things that we've been talking about over the last weeks, Mark chapter 8, Jesus said these words, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Mark chapter 9, on the Mount of Transfiguration, you might remember that story. Peter, James, and John are up there with Jesus, and the Father speaks into the Mount of Transfiguration, and he says these words, listen to Jesus only. Don't listen to the lies of the world. Don't listen to the lies of your selfish flesh. Listen to Jesus only. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus reminds us, tells us, everyone will be salted with fire. One of the things that we talked about in Mark 9 is the fire here is a refiner's fire. It's a purifying fire. Discipleship, following Jesus, is not being spoiled rotten and getting everything that we want. Mark chapter 10 
We talked about this a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. And then Jesus said in our passage last week, many who are first shall be last and the last shall be first. And so discipleship is learning humility. It is learning uh, submission to authority. And these lessons from Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10, these lessons uh, aren't easy lessons, but they are essential and good lessons for us. They are transformative transformative uh, to our minds and hearts and our lives as we follow Jesus. The author of Hebrews told, tells us this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, even though Jesus is God's son, he learned obedience. Even Jesus in his humanity learned obedience from the things he suffered. And we, as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we must learn these things uh, as well. And so, again, Mark 10, 32 to 45 is our passage. I've entitled the message, uh, The Why. These are more discipleship lessons for the 12, and they are also discipleship lessons for us. Let's start by reading uh, Mark 10, 32 to 34 as we get started this morning. This is uh, the Word of God uh, for us. Starting in verse 32, and they, Jesus and the disciples, were on the road going up to Jerusalem. This is the moment. Uh, Jesus is leading them to Jerusalem. Here, here we go in this story, in this journey of Jesus fulfilling his mission. They're going up to Jerusalem, up to Zion. Uh, to fulfill the mission that God the Father had sent him to. And so they're headed to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they, the disciples, they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. There was amazement, but there was also um, the reality of fear. They were also afraid. And taking the twelve again, Jesus began to tell them what was to happen to him Again, this is the third prediction of his passion in Mark's gospel. And he was saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and they will spit on him, and they will flog him and they will kill him. And after three days, he, Jesus, the Son of Man, the fulfillment of the Son of Man prophecies from Daniel, Ezekiel, he, Jesus, the Messiah, will rise. He will die, and three days later, he will rise again. Again, Jesus moving up to Jerusalem, not to triumph in a military campaign, uh, but to die, a a a suffering servant, Messiah. And as he draws near to his death, the disciples aren't drawing any nearer in their understanding of the, the mission of Jesus to die as our suffering servant for us. Again, third passion prediction. And this prediction is much more robust 
it's way more detailed than the other two predictions that we've already looked at. Uh, this one tells us uh, not just that Israel will reject her Messiah, but also that Israel will hand the Messiah over to the Gentiles. Uh, and so much more detail, uh, robust understanding in what Jesus is saying. And again, that says the disciples are amazed and afraid. Um, perhaps they were still holding on to the hope uh, that Jesus was this um, Messiah superhero uh, coming to restore Israel uh, like the days of old. Uh, certainly, certainly. Uh, they were not grasping that the Messiah was to be our suffering servant. They did not yet. And it's Mark chapter 10, right before Holy Week in Mark 11, the triumphant entry. They still did not understand the true why of his coming. Let's think about this for just a moment. The gospel mission is literally weeks away, days away, from being on the shoulders of the disciples. We are in Mark 10, and they still didn't have a full revelation of why Jesus must die. So Jesus uh, teaching again about all that he is about to give. He is literally teaching about the fact that he is about to give his life for the sins of the world, he is going to die in our place. He is talking about all that he is about to give. And the disciples are focused on all that they want to get. Now, they are focused, their minds, they're heading up to Jerusalem. And their minds are centered on position. Their minds are centered on influence. Their minds are centered on status. And we know that because of what happens right after Jesus makes this prediction. So let's keep reading. Uh, we'll read this time uh, through the end of our text, verses uh, 35 uh, through 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, they come up to Jesus and they say to Jesus, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That's a pretty brazen question to ask Jesus. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? How gracious a response of Jesus to James and John. What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism in which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Again, pretty brazen response of James and John. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared verse 41 and when the 10 heard it they began to be indignant at James and John James and John are clamoring for position and status and influence and rulership at literally the right and the left hand of the king 
and the other 10 are indignant, I think rightfully slow, perhaps because they were indignant toward James and John's selfishness, but maybe more so because they didn't get to Jesus to ask for this before James and John. Maybe they were indignant because James and John beat them to the request. We don't really know, but there was uh, division. There was division in the ranks. Again, right before Jerusalem, and the disciples are indignant toward James and John. And Jesus calls this team meeting. Jesus called them to himself, and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, he's speaking about the the oppressive Roman government, you know that the rulers who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, what they do is they lord it over them. They, they practice this authority, this oppressive authority. They, they understand this because they have been under the oppression of Rome their whole lives. So he says to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great one exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. This is something that Jesus has been saying to the disciples over and over and over again over the last few chapters. If you want to be great, whoever is going to be great must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, for even the Messiah, Jesus is speaking of himself, for even I came not to be served, but to serve. But to serve, and here's the why, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is uh, the word of God for us this morning. Uh, So James uh, and John, again, Uh, clamoring for position, influence, rulership, uh, show their spiritual blindness, uh, and they show a good bit of their selfishness here. Uh, They foresee themselves as kind of the elite of the elite, sitting at the right and the left hand of Jesus, literally ruling in these prominent seats. And it's, uh, I think it's it's a question that they were asking out of their own immaturity. Um, out of their own uh, kind of selfish, worldly ambition. Again, the question, we want you, Jesus, to do for us what we ask of you. Uh, in fact, it's not in our Mark passage, but in Matthew's account of this same story, Matthew lets us know that uh, James and John, their mom was actually there scheming with them, which makes me, which makes me think a bit of uh, helicopter mothering, wouldn't you say, that their mom was also there requesting this of Jesus, and Jesus tells all of them, John, James, and their mother, you do not know what you are asking. When Jesus Ask them if they are able to drink from the cup in which he will drink from and be baptized in the same baptized uh, in the same baptism. In their own uh, blind ambition, they say we are able. But here's the irony. Here's the irony of the story. Uh, it would actually be two thieves who would be at the right and the left hand of Jesus as he entered into glory. And this is the cold reality 
of Jesus' cup, the cup that Jesus would drink, and the baptism that Jesus would drink from is this. It's suffering and death. James and John certainly weren't asking for that. And that's why Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking for. Here's some Old Testament uh, Jewish context for the cup. Uh, It was a symbol actually for suffering, especially as it was related to God's just wrath toward the sin of mankind. If you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was facing his own suffering uh, by talking, by thinking about, and by taking uh, the cup of God's just wrath. And he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He was facing the reality of drinking from the cup of God's Wrath. Uh, Old Testament uh, Jewish context for baptism is, is similar. A picture of being submerged into calamity, also um, coming under the justice of God or the just wrath of God. Now, in our New Testament understanding of baptism, it carries with it this uh, understanding of this great victory that we have in Christ being raised to walk in newness of life. But even in our New Testament understanding of baptism, it also is connected to being baptized into the death of Christ. Paul uh, writes these words in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. And he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life. Here's the point that I think that Jesus is making clear to James and John. Again, they're asking for something to be the elite of the elite. They're clamoring for position and authority. They don't have an understanding of the why of the cross yet. And so the point that Jesus is making here, I believe, is this, that discipleship, that following Jesus all the way includes suffering. And to share in his kingdom, to share in his glory, is to share in his passion. It in, and it includes humility humbling ourselves and submission to authority. That's what Jesus was saying in the Garden of Gethsemane in his humanity. Father, take this cup of wrath from me, but not my will, but your will be done. These these realities of uh, suffering, uh, uh, sharing in the passion of Jesus, uh, uh, humility, submission to authority, these are not easy. Uh, but they are basic and essential Christian virtues and values. And they are founded upon the suffering and the humility and the submission of Jesus himself. Know this, uh, that Jesus doesn't uh, call the 12 disciples and he doesn't call us to go someplace or to do something that he has not already done and gone before us. Again, Mark chapter 10, the disciples needed to grasp and understand, have a revelation of the why behind the what of the cross. 
And at this moment, you've got James and John. You've got uh, them maneuvering, clamoring with their selfish ambition. And you've got the other ten indignant toward them. Uh, In uh, his book, The Cross of Christ, um, theologian and author uh, John Stott uh, wrote, uh, Our world and even the church is full of Jameses and Johns. Uh, go-getters and status seekers, uh, hungry for honor and prestige, uh, measuring life by achievements and everlastingly dreaming of success. This is what was happening with James and John. So it's happening. There's division in the ranks. And so Jesus calls this team meeting to tell them The same thing that he had already told them in Mark chapter 9, that greatness is humble service. Not lording it over, not exercising authority over, uh, not being like the teachers of the law, not being like the Roman oppressive government who bask in in recognition, who bask in ruling over and sitting in prominent seats. But Christian discipleship and leadership is serving humbly. I think this passage uh, certainly moves us to reflect deeply, uh, prayerfully considering uh, what it means to lay down uh, our selfish ambition and to become transformed in a humble servant of the Lord. The way of Jesus is self-giving sacrifice and service for the benefit of of others, which is, uh, which is what brings us to verse 45. Truly, Mark 10, 45 is uh, the why behind the what. Um, Mark 10, 45 really is uh, the summary statement, the paradigmatic statement of the entire gospel of Mark. I would encourage you to underline it. I would encourage you to highlight it. I would encourage you to uh, put a box around it. I would encourage you to memorize it. Mark 10:45 is the why behind the what of the cross. And Jesus again, he says these words to the disciples, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, we said this just a few moments ago. This is the only passage in Mark that tells us why Jesus must die. And here is the why, to give his life as a ransom for many. I just want to take a few moments here to unpack uh, what ransom means because it is the why behind the what ransom is something paid for for the sake of freedom in the book of exodus in the book of leviticus in the in the book of numbers we find evidence of um, ancient uh, the ancient hebrew people the ancient israelites uh, and a ransom would be paid uh, in the purchase of freedom for personal injury or a crime most often for a relative who had become, literally become a prisoner or a slave. And so we find evidence of that in all three of those books. Uh, Literal payment, a purchase for freedom for someone who is a prisoner or a slave. And so the concept 
uh, of ransom is this. It is connected to cost. Ransom is connected to substitution. Uh, Ransom is connected to atonement. Um, Grace, the grace of Jesus, the unmerited favor of Jesus for us uh, is free. It's totally, radically free. But it cost Jesus his life. A cost was paid. It's free for us. Cost Jesus his life. Ransom paid. Jesus died in our place where we deserved to die. Jesus died in our place as our substitute, ransom paid. Jesus uh, sacrifice, his sacrifice on the cross uh, atoned uh, for our sins, ransom paid. It's so important for the disciples Uh, Not just to know that Jesus was going to die, but why he must die. Again, understanding the why behind the what of the cross changes everything in our lives. Uh, Ransom is the why. And ransom satisfies divine justice. Jesus gave his life as a ransom to satisfy the just wrath of God. Why did Jesus do this? Because of love. Uh, You may have heard it said before that the cross of Jesus is the love of God and the wrath of God all coming together at once. That Jesus paid the ransom, satisfying the just wrath of God because of Love. Now, the reality for us is that divine justice isn't just a nod and a wink toward the sin of mankind. And if we struggle to uh, understand the just wrath of God, it's not because, I don't believe it's because we don't understand justice. Um, If we struggle with understanding the wrath of God, I believe it's because we don't really fully understand the sin of mankind. The wrath of God, the wrath of God and the love of God are not incompatible. The wrath of God and the love of God, rightly understood, they are inseparable for us to know and understand and have revelation of Here's a big point of our time together this morning. Uh, We drink from the cup of grace because Jesus drank from the cup of wrath. We are enabled to drink from the cup of grace because Jesus was willing to drink from the cup of wrath. Uh, Think think about uh, Thursday night, the the last supper, and Jesus offers the bread and the cup, and we're going to come to the communion table together uh, with joy and thanksgiving here in just a few moments. But Jesus is offering uh, the disciples uh, wine, uh, and he says, drink this. This is the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. He is inviting them to drink from the cup of his grace knowing that the very next day he would take on the full just wrath of God. He would drink from the cup of wrath so that we could drink from the cup of his grace. The cup of wrath is what Jesus was asking the Father to take away in Gethsemane. But then he said, I am in submission to your authority, not my will, but your will 
be done. And Jesus drank that cup for us. But this is not the cup that we drink as new covenant believers and followers of Jesus. The cup that Jesus offered the disciples at the Last Supper was the cup of grace. And it's the cup that we get to enjoy as well as followers and believers in Christ. Again, the cup of grace, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Boy, I, um, I, hope, I hope this is connecting and making sense for all of you. Jesus drank from the cup of wrath. This is the why. The ransom, Mark 10, 45, is the why. We get to drink from the cup of his grace, and the cup of his grace empowers the what of our lives, and the what of our lives as disciples is this, is to become humble servants. We are empowered by the cup of grace to become humble servants of Jesus. I want to point out one last thing uh, before we come to the communion table. I want to show you uh, one quick thing here in verses 43 and 44. So I want you to just pay attention to these two verses. Let me read verse 43 again. Jesus says, um, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And here in verse 43, Jesus is talking about the disciples. As followers of disciples of Christ, he's speaking about us. This is about us. Jesus is calling us as his disciples to be humble servants. That's the what. And then in verse 44, is begins to talk about the why and then fully the ransom in verse 45 as well. But in verse 44, he also talks about the why and he's talking about himself. Jesus talking about himself in verse 44 says, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Scriptures tell us that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is preeminent in our lives. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. Jesus speaking about himself and says, I will become the slave of all. This is the why. Truly the first among us, Jesus, became a slave of all. We were enslaved to sin. Jesus becomes a slave of all, liberating us from our captivity, literally liberating us as captives to be free in Christ. He became the slave of all, our substitute, humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, so that we could be freed by the ransom of his blood. Jesus became the slave of all, so that all who believe are no longer slaves. I'm going to read that again. Jesus became the slave of all, so that all who believe are no longer slaves. Hallelujah, church. Every time that you and I come to the communion table, when we come to the Lord's Supper, you are invited to partake again of his cup of grace. It's never, it's never the cup of wrath. That has already been satisfied fully in Jesus. Our cup, our cup is always the cup 
of his grace that empowers our lives to follow Jesus as humble servants. Jesus drinking the cup of his wrath so that we could drink the cup of his grace. And so I want to invite you now uh, to bring the elements of the Lord's table before yourself, before anyone that's in your home watching uh, right now. And let's come as a church together in these moments to receive again, to taste and see of the Lord's goodness that we have received the cup of grace in our lives. The body of Jesus has been broken uh, for us. And so we receive the body of Jesus, his brokenness, empowering the healing in our lives. So I just want to invite you now to receive uh, the bread of the new covenant. And Jesus also took the cup, again reminding his disciples that this is the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. This is the cup of his grace. Would you receive, would you receive the cup now? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the why. Thank you for the what. And I thank you that the why you have come not to be served, but to serve and give your life as a ransom for many, as a ransom for me, as a ransom for everyone who is watching and listening. We celebrate the reality that you took the cup of wrath and you have invited us to the cup of your grace that empowers us to be humble servants, that empowers us even in the hard realities of our lives and some of the transforming work of our discipleship that your grace empowers us to become more transformed to the image of of you, Jesus. And so, Lord, do do a fresh work in us today, uh, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, let's turn our hearts uh, to worship now as we sing one more song uh, together. God bless you, Two Rivers Church family.